Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by SeatGeek. Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome back, everybody. Back in uh, South Bend. It's a two-man booth today. Tim O'Malley still fighting the effects of uh, <laughs> uh, of a long season in the planes, trains, and automobile travel uh, that, that, that he went through to get to Dallas. So it's Pete Sampson and I today. I don't think you and I have been Let just you and me since last summer, I think. Yeah. So, Let a minute. So we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot here today. <laughs> Plenty of questions from, from our readers. But segment one, uh, we kind of want to wrap up, obviously, the, the, the Cotton Bowl and some other things. Brian Kelly's name uh, w- was submitted by a search firm for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It doesn't sound like the Buccaneers are, are agreeing with that suggestion per se. We don't think anything will come of that. But this is something that we kind of expected with a ton of NFL openings. Brian Kelly's name was going to come up. We don't have any evidence that I'm aware of, unless you do, Pete, that he's he's uh, going to be offered a job or accept a job and leave Notre Dame. But it was when a search firm throws a name out there, uh, you know, it's worth noting. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's no reason for me to think he's going to leave. Uh, there's a lot of reason to think that he'll probably get a slightly improved contract um, after the last couple of years, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You look at these NFL jobs and the names that are thrown out to them, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure Brian Kelly is a better coach than about like 80 <laughs> percent of the people that are getting these jobs. So um, I do look. Brian Kelly is a situation here where he's the Notre Dame job is as good as it's ever been for him. Um, the compensation has never been better. Um, recruiting is in a good way. He has a couple of young up and coming coordinators who like working for him and like being at Notre Dame. Strength and staff is in good shape. I just, if I was him, I would be happy making my probably six, six and a half million dollars a year and basically running the show here. Whereas in the NFL, you could get your butt fired in two years. And look, I, I also think there's one of the underrated parts that it, it would be hard to write about, but I think Brian Kelly just likes head coach. University of Notre Dame as like a nameplate, as a title, um, which is a lot more prestigious than head coach Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, it, it, it really is. It doesn't pay as much, but it. But I mean, I, at the at the end of the day, it probably doesn't pay as much. But yeah, well, it's like let's say. I mean, what are the Buccaneers going to give him? Is Tampa Bay going to hire a first? Time NFL coach eight eight million dollars a well, year. Well, it's my understanding that they were thinking not just head coach, but also you know the guy right. running the entire show. And you know, I mean, I think with with what he's done in the last couple of years, and you know the way he comports himself on the sideline now, he looks like a CEO of a of a NFL organization. And I I guess I could understand the interest in that. I don't think that that best serves his coaching ability. I think he's a better fit for the college game. Um, you know, it's a matter it, at this point, I guess it comes down to ego, right? I mean, if it's a little bit more money, a few more million dollars, um, but yeah, do you want to, do is it worth that? Is it worth giving up Notre Dame for that extra amount? I, I, I agree with you. I think that he's in the right place and feeling good about where he fits in the whole Notre Dame landscape now, which wasn't necessarily true after his first national championship run. Um, so I would imagine that he will continue to be here. And he's just, he's a little too on record now about, I have no interest in the NFL, which he never said in 2010, 2011, 2012. It was always sort of like, he was a, he was a coaching climber back then. Whereas now I feel like he's sort of found his level and no, like he's on, he's on just good terms with his employer now. And I I don't mean Jack Swarbrick or I mean the whole culture of Notre Dame. I think that he's comfortable here in a way that he's. He's never really been so that I don't expect that to change. And if it did change, it would it would have to be like you said, kind of an ego driven decision where there's like I just need to know how I yeah, fit at the if, NFL. If he were forty seven, I would get it. He's fifty seven. It's a little bit different. Boy, you're 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 taking on a incredible amount of pressure and responsibility moving up there. Um, you know, I, I just I don't know. I mean, I don't I at this point, neither you nor I has have heard anything that says anything that that's about to happen. So we move on from that. Um, I do want to bring up Julian Love. I wrote about it a little bit in the tail of the tape. I tried not to come to conclusions, but I just found the entire thing 
very, very strange, especially after you saw the TV version of it, the reactions, the helmet on. He's got a helmet on. He has a concussion. Yeah, that really? Ma- that, doesn't, that doesn't make that's a, sense. That's against Notre Dame's uh, protocol. Julian Love's comment after the game was, I don't really know what it was. I, I don't know if that's word for word, but that's basically what he said. And then Brian Kelly interjected that it was he didn't pass protocol because of failure of memory. Then he went in there in the second half and played pretty aggressively, and it's just a shame. I'm not, I, I'm not accusing or pointing fingers. I don't know, um, but it's just a shame that I don't think Notre Dame wins the game anyway. I think Clemson probably because they take their foot off the pedal in the second half, and so if they keep the foot on the pedal, the second half transpires differently. But the fumble kickoff, you know, I'm gonna keep going by the fumble kickoff, which is just a shame because it was such a great play by Komet and Claypool that you yeah. don't get that. And then the injury to Love, which Nordame didn't get. Nordame gave up three plays all years of 40 yards or more in 12 regular season games, and then they gave up two to Clemson. They wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't think, if Julian Love was in the game. No, because, I mean, I think you could look at it as they gave up three 40-yard plays with Julian Love in the game all year. And then they gave up two <laughs> right. in 10 minutes right. without him. Yes. So, yeah, it was. Um, you saw how thinly Nordame's personnel got stretched and, like, I think there's there's so much focus on the Dante Vaughn plays to the touchdown to T. Higgins right before halftime, the touchdown to Justin Ross that really sort of opened the floodgates. But the the Ross touchdown where he beat Alohi Gilman was also a direct result of Julian Love being out of the game because they're trying to get Drew Tranquil to help to the outside um, with Vaughn, and it's sort of a, a three-for-two coverage situation. If you're three cover guys against... Ross, and I don't know who the other receiver was, probably Higgins, but... It was. Okay, so if if it's Ross and Higgins versus Gilman, Tranquil, and Vaughn in a coverage situation, that's that's an instance where the two guys are better than the three. And, I mean, Gilman, for how great he played as a tackler, that's just not his game. His game is not to pick up a... A future NFL wide receiver on up the seam, stride for stride, especially like maybe two minutes after he's hurt his shoulder or collarbone or whatever that injury was. Um, that's that was a that was a bad personnel spot for Notre Dame to be in, where it asked Alohi Gilman to do something where he's not he's not capable of doing it. To say Alohi Gilman got exposed on that play, I I, I mean how so? I mean he he was. He was compensating for, as you say, he's. Kind of, I, mean, I mean, he's compensating for Vaughn the whole time that Julian loves out. Right. Uh, he, you know, he, he's been getting banged around. I, I mean, I just had the utmost respect for the way he played the game, and he didn't get exposed on anything. Notre Dame's pass defense was compromised because Julian Love was out of the game, and, and they beat him. So, you know, so those two things, the fumble that wasn't a fumble and, and the Julian Love thing, I mean, you know, as I, I point out a couple times, with, with five minutes to go in the second quarter, Elise Mack couldn't hold on to a ball that would have been third and one at the Clemson 36. It's a nine to three game. I mean, I still think Clemson wins. I still think Clemson covers, but it's a different game. Whereas at halftime, the game was over. Yeah. Um, There's, well, I, you know, it wouldn't yeah. have been. It yeah. wouldn't have been. I think the, yeah, the Mack drop overturn, I think, is sort of an underrated turning point in the game. Because, oh, I mean, you're thinking, you're thinking about the kickoffs or the injuries. But I mean, it's I kind of you know you look back in the game, and I think the farther we get away from it, the more probably people will think like that Clemson jumped all over them. But I mean, really, the, the first quarter, I th- I think if Love doesn't get hurt, Mac catches that ball, Claypool catches the ball on the first drive. Yeah, I mean, it lengthens the ga- it lengthens the time that Notre it's, Dame's in the game. It's probably nine three at halftime. Maybe it's three three at halftime. I don't know. I mean, I. I think the the problem was Notre Dame was going to have a hard time scoring more than three. Yeah, they were. They weren't. But they yeah. weren't going to give and that's up why 30. I say Clemson was still going to win and they were going to cover. Yeah. But the notion that, yes, the offense sputtered, but the notion that Notre Dame didn't come out ready to play, we were 25 minutes into the game. It was 9-3, to three and they were they were at the Clemson 36. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is one thing. Talking to, doing sort of a post-mortem on the game, talking to people around the program, I, I was expecting to maybe get a, a little bit of a flicker of, yeah, we knew if, you know, we had a couple players that weren't dialed in or, like, we had a couple bad practices. And, I've, you know, what I'm hearing is the opposite, that 
they were totally locked in. They felt like they had great practices. I mean, they didn't have any discipline problems down there. That they they were as ready as they could be, which which just which creates a whole different set of concerns in some ways. Like this is one of the differences between the Alabama game and the Clemson game, where if you feel like you're on semi equal footing with your opponent, that you're not going to get played off the field talent wise, and then you lose thirty to three, you do have to go back and look and say like, okay, why? Why did Claypool drop that ball? Why did Mack drop that ball? Why did Dexter Williams have that false start? Why did Tavon Coney have that misrun fit? Um, you know, why were there false starts on the offensive line? Why did your quarterback Ian Book play his worst game of the season? Um, those are those are tough questions to ask. They're just, but they are different questions to ask than how are you ever going to beat Alabama? I mean, there was there we were not doing a podcast after the Alabama game talking about like, well, if X, Y, and Z had happened, then right. maybe There's it no would have been close. No. Like, they, they just didn't belong on the same. Like, Alabama scored, could have scored 100 points on Notre Dame if they wanted to. That's why I hate the, the, the narrative will be that Notre Dame lost 33 and they were unprepared and they got blown out completely. They weren't going to win. I get that. I acknowledge that. But... That that wasn't the, it. It wasn't like Alabama. It was it was different, and so therefore, I don't feel that Notre Dame's as far away as a lot of people think. Are they in the level of Clemson, Alabama? Of course not, but no one else is. Right. I mean, at least at, at this point, um, O'Malley and I went over all this after the game. So I mean, I, I don't know about if our listeners are thinking a lot of this stuff is redundant. So we will, we will move on from that. But I do want to mention Georgia in in, in the the Sugar Bowl because I just it. It's really kind of comical now, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about what a shame it is that the Cotton Bowl Eagle was outstaged by Bevo and Ugga just like 48 hours later. I, I wasn't referring to that, but that was that was an interesting little uh, give and take between uh, Bevo and, and Ugga. But uh, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, just, you know, Georgia, Georgia players, Georgia fans reacting. First of all, you're reacting to Nordim losing to Clemson before you've played Texas, a four-loss Texas team, and give Texas all the credit in the world. I mean, that's a great, great win for them. And what a springboard for them going into the next season. But, you know, Georgia, you have a motivation problem. I, I think that's what your problem is. You weren't motivated to play LSU, and you got hammered. You weren't motivated enough to play Texas. You were down 28-7. to You know, and you're crying about the the, the playoff that, that you should be in. You got a motivation problem, man. I agree. I mean, I really think it's it's far more damning than people make it out to be when you don't show up for a game. I mean, that's that's a that's a problem with sort of like how your organization is running. And like Georgia has a pretty good organization, but look, once again, Twitter is undefeated. If you tweet crap, it's going to come back. I, and... I, I lose to Twitter every day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Elijah Holyfield and that group. Um, it was a it was a tough beat. I mean. There were some. There were definitely some Georgia players after the game. Were like, yeah, that that deservedly is being thrown back in our face. Um, and you know, do but I mean, look, it's not like they skipped a game planning meeting so they could tweet about Notre Dame. But clearly, it showed a little <laughs> bit. the The mental space that they were in was not good. Um, if you can't get played, if you can't get motivated to play in the Sugar Bowl as an SEC team, I just don't. I just don't really get it. Well, at the very least, you should have had the motivation to prove that they should have been there. Yeah. And, again, you were down 28-7 to and very fortunate to make it a one-score game. I mean, right. the final score came with less than a minute to go, so it was barely a one-score game. But, yeah, I, I didn't think Texas I, – I didn't think the the combination of Texas's skill level right at this moment and George's motivation to prove the playoff committee wrong, I, I just – I didn't think that that would be the outcome. Um so they got what they deserved. Alabama, Clemson. Um, I kind of feel like Alabama by a lot. That's um, yeah. My 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 hunch on on the game is that Alabama will probably win going away. You know, I I, I like I like what Clemson has. Um, obviously, we all saw it in person, but they'll miss Dexter Lawrence in this game. Yeah, they will miss Dexter Lawrence in this game. But I do think that Alabama's offensive line against Clemson's defensive front is still a pretty big edge to Alabama. And that if Clark Lee and Notre Dame can get Trevor Lawrence sort of seeing ghosts in the first quarter, that Alabama that another thing Alabama did. can do that for a whole game. And, look, if they lose a starting corner in the game, they've got a five-star guy to put in. So that's not going to be a problem for them. So it's like I just think Alabama's 
where Notre Dame had a weakness, Alabama has strengths everywhere. Um, and I, I think that's what I like. I like Alabama by a lot of points. In this yeah, game. I don't. I don't. Even, I'm, I'm not even sure what the line is. I, I, I don't know either. Maybe uh, we're, maybe we should have been prepared. Yeah, for this. maybe we should have been prepared for that. <laughs> but um, well, okay. But like, well, me, if you while said, I look that Al- up, if you I will... said it was Alabama minus seven, I would pick Alabama. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I as as talented and physical as Clemson is. Alabama is more physical than than that. And more talented. Yeah, I, I just um, yes, I have a difficult time getting the, the spread <laughs> oh, to pop up here, and people are saying, "I know what the spread is. It's five and a half." Yeah, I would take. I would comfortably bet Alabama minus five and a half on Monday night. I I like them a lot. Yeah, um, wow. I mean, it's like you look at how they. It took a Heisman Trophy winner for that for that game to be. The Orange Bowl I'm talking about to be slightly competitive a little bit. I mean they they were housing Oklahoma the same way that yeah they, they were they housed Notre Dame six years it ago. It was thirty five so. to ten. It was twenty eight nothing in the first quarter. I think right thirty five ten yeah. So I I mean I I think that Alabama uh, from top to bottom. I mean you, if Clemson. And I, I have every reason to believe that Clemson is being sincere when they say that Notre Dame was the best team that they played all year. You think if that's the, going to change? <laughs> if that's the best team you've played all year, look out on Monday night. I mean, that that is going to yeah. be a test. Like, like, look, Trevor Lawrence will have never played anything like that ever in his football career. Yeah, true. Um, that's going to be a real tough ask for him. So that's true. ultimately that's why that's really why I like tough, Alabama. Uh, really tough matchup for for Clemson's O line against that. Yikes. That uh, that defensive front. All right. Uh, as you can imagine, we have a few questions, and we'll address those in segment two. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The college football playoffs are here, and getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. This is Burning Up the Board, segment two. We start with a question from Terry Benedict. In terms of the national media's perception, how much does the loss to Clemson set Notre Dame back? I mean, it, it does, but a, not really in a meaningful way. You, you know, it's like, I think I, I had a question for my mailbag about this. Like, basically, is, is Notre Dame not going to make it at 12-0 next year? <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. They're, they will make it every year at 12-0. It is a stone cold, especially lot. next year's schedule. Yeah. If they win <laughs> Road at, schedule. at Georgia, at Stanford, at Michigan, and USC at home, Notre Dame will make the playoff at twelve and zero. Now, do they lose a little bit of the argument at eleven and one? Yeah, but I don't think they had an awesome argument to begin with because without the the conference championship game, the the recency bias that goes into that, um, I do think we, Notre Dame's going to lose a little bit there. Do we really want the committee to be? Making decisions in 2019 based upon 2018 or 2012. Or, no, I mean that's I, wrong. The, that's just flat out wrong. The only the only sort of like carryover argument that I would have for the playoff is like if Alabama had one loss next year 
and you wanted to say, well, I mean, it's still Alabama, right? Then I then that's fine. Like I I wouldn't. Alabama is probably the only school that I wouldn't judge independently right, of right. like, right guys, sh- shouldn't we like, you know, have a little bit more logic? They've about, earned like, that. Yeah, Notre Dame hasn't. Um, you know, Clemson probably has to a certain extent, especially if they win on Monday night. But um, no, I, I I think the Ohio State has to. To I mean, that's that's what my perception was like. Who came out of the bowl season looking better than they than they were going into it? Alabama, Clemson. And probably Ohio State to a certain extent. That's it. But then Ohio State is a total reboot because Urban Meyer is leaving. Right. So I, you know, everyone other than Alabama and Clemson are gonna. You can look at them sort of sideways next year and say like, okay, are they? How good are they really? Um, Notre Dame's going to be in that group. Um, but I, I don't think it matters so much with the playoff committee now. Are, if you're listening to this podcast, are you going to have to sit through a 15 minute segment on ESPN's college football rankings reveal about? How Notre Dame doesn't belong. Yeah, you're going to have to sit through that. But I don't think the playoff well, committee yeah, is going to be influenced right. those by people it. Don't, those people don't make the decision. As it relates to the question, I would ask how much does does the – when Michigan State lost a couple of years ago, 38 to nothing. Yeah, or Washington. Or Washington. You're, you're, it's the same situation. But they then – Michigan State then didn't come back and go 12-0. and 0. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean it's a setback. But – the day that the committee starts making decisions in the present day based upon previous years, now now we have a problem. And that probably is coming because of all the pressure on the outside. You know, I think so far for five years they've resisted the pressure from the outside. I'm not sure how long that will last. Yeah, I you know, it's I mean, Ohio State is maybe oddly in the same boat. I mean, since they got absolutely destroyed by Clemson in the playoff, like, you know, they, they seem to be the team that doesn't quite – Get in for a re- like yeah. if you get blown up by Purdue and Iowa, then maybe you don't have. A I think that there's there's Clemson and Alabama, and then Ohio State's the notch below that, and then the notch below that is probably Oklahoma and Georgia. Right now, since Oklahoma's been there twice in a row, and Georgia's yeah, I don't know about the the Sugar Bowl, you know, but and then Notre Dame's they're, at they're least close. in the last two years are, are right there, so they're solidly in the top ten. Any Davis two without Brandon Wimbush and Dexter Williams, where will Notre Dame's big play threat come from in 2019? Boykin, Claypool, and Fink have proven to all be possession guys, and Arms Jafar Armstrong does not have that extra gear. Um, I think it's a good question. I, I would sort of argue with Armstrong does not have that extra gear uh, because he's been banged up. Does he have the Dexter Williams gear? No. But he's got half to three quarters of that gear when he's when he's completely healthy, and then now had a full opportunity to be a running back and get his confidence and what have you. But it's a leg- legitimate question. Uh, Keys, Lindsey, I don't you know I, these names were thrown out so much in the bowl game. Braden Lindsey was not re- he's not ready. He was not ready to play. You, can you, you you can say, well, just line them up and run them down the field. I get that. I, I get that, but. How is Ian Book going to have enough time to, you know, sit back there and make that throw? Just heave it was kind of the the <laughs> attitude with those guys. And it's just not, you know, you're taking a, 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 a one in 35 shot at, at, at plays like that. And I just don't think it's realistic. But I digress. Uh, it's a good question because, you know, Boykin's not necessarily a take-the-top-off kind of guy. Nope. Although I think that he continues to improve in that area. Claypool should be capable of that and thinks an undersized guy. It's a good question. I mean, I think Jafar Armstrong, there's something there, but when you, we need to stop, well, we don't, but like Notre Dame needs to get to a point where they don't have to have Jafar Armstrong described as when healthy Jafar Armstrong, because that's not how playing running back works. Uh, And he, that he's a running back now. He really fell off the table at the end of the year. Can Um, Avery Davis be that guy? No. I don't. I don't think there's anything there. Um, so it, at that point, you're down to Kyron Williams. The coaches still really like Sebo Flemister a lot. I mean, they think like athletically, he's he's a plus player. He's somebody who can help them. We'll see what happens. I, spring ball with Kyron Williams, Sebo Flemister, Jameer Smith, uh, Avery Davis will get an option. Um, you know, Jafar Armstrong is there. Like Tony Jones, you know, you're not getting any more out of him than than what he's no. shown so far. So you you got to create something. Notre Dame's running back recruiting has not been good enough recently to, to that they have Dexter Williams stacked on top of Dexter Williams. I mean, if you just had 
you went to the Clemson game and said, all right, let's put all the running backs in this game on a board and have a draft, you know, Travis Etienne would be one. I think <laughs> Dexter Williams would be two, but then it would be Clemson, 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 Clemson. Like, Lynn J. Dixon is basically their equivalent of Avery Davis as the fourth back. <laughs> I mean, and that's like when you say it out loud, and you're like, and that's pretty ridiculous. And he's faster yeah, than, so than that's, Avery Davis. It's not a good place to be. I, I think the receiver position, it's probably going to be keys over Lindsey in terms of the deep threat. I think Michael Young, there's a lot more there. Um, Keys and Lindsay are different posi- – I mean, deep three, yeah. Keys and Lindsay – I spoke to Lindsay, and Irish Illustrated is going to have a series of stories on some freshmen that we had an opportunity to speak to, and he's an ex. I mean, I, we knew that, and Keys would be more of a, a, a Z. Yeah. No, I think – but, the, I mean, ideally, they'd like to move those guys around a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin they, they, I mean, Kevin Austin's Kevin another Austin guy. Kevin Austin is the yeah. guy. Um, Kevin Austin needs to – and I mean, it's interesting – the the receiver rotation, I think that's his, you know, probably, I don't want to talk all over a question later, but, like, I think they would like to rotate, not for the sake of rotating, they like to rotate for the sake of having more speed on the field. Um, and Kevin Kevin Austin and Keyes, to me, those those are the guys, if, if we're talking about, wow, what a productive year for Notre Dame's passing game next year, we're going to be talking a lot about Kevin Austin yeah. and Lawrence Keyes. I think those are the two sort of swing players. Yeah. At this as position. far as Kyron Williams, I, I need to see him on the field with other comparable sure. major college because I just, I, I think I said in a previous podcast, I don't think he has that fifth gear. I will maintain that thought until I can now see him on the field with other Norting players. Uh, he's very small. Uh, that doesn't preclude preclude you from being very fast, but. Um, I just I need to see that. Travis Etienne's not that big. No, he's not. But he's uh, he's very. And that was another thing. They did a great job against him. They yeah. really, really did a great job a, a, against and the run. Dixon and, as well. I think he averaged less than two yeah. yards a carry. Yeah. Uh, M. Solner, what are your predictions on who comes back next year out of the following? Julian Love, Julian Oquara, Khalid Kareem, Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool. I think they'll all be back. Um, you know, Kareem already said he'll be back. <laughs> Claypool, I don't think needs to say he'll be back. I'm not entirely sure why Miles Boykin has been. A Did Jalen Elliott said say yeah. he's going to be back with like a LOL emoji? Oh, okay, as, okay. It was like as if anyone was asking, oh, okay. and I don't think anyone yeah. was. Um, you know, I I think all five of those will be back. I I I think I've said this on previous podcasts that for Aquar and Kareem, what happened with Tillery and Coney this year should have been enough oh, to convince them point. to come back. That's a good point. The money they made. On top of that, being on the same field as Austin Bryant and Cleveland Farrell should have like really driven the point home. Another like, good point. I am not quite where that guy is, and that guy is going pro next year as a first round pick or second round pick. Yeah. So those are good points. Those are that that should be like now. Could Julian Acquire make a decision that I would consider like a miscalculation? Sure. Uh, I'm a little surprised that he hasn't already come out and said he's coming back or leaving. Um, maybe that will happen today as you're listening to this podcast. But Wasn't he supposed to announce it yesterday? I thought so. And then <laughs> with Julian Love, I just think the way the season ended, and talking to him at Media Day at the Cotton Bowl, I always thought he was leaving. Um, but then when he's talking about being a captain's important to him, um, I know that maybe I'm not the best combine guy. Um, there's a lot of reasons to come back, and maybe there's a reason to leave too. It just the way he was phrasing everything made me think he's coming back, and he'll be a captain next year with a Logie Gilman. I mean, knowing the personality, and I don't want this to be uh, interpreted poorly. I don't mean it that way. I, I don't think that he's emotionally ready to leave Notre Dame. I think a lot of it is, hey, I'm I'm great. Everybody tells me I'm great. Do I have to go? Maybe I have to go. Mm. And we could end up being wrong here, but I, I tend to agree with you. The the Aquara thing is concerning <laughs> from a Notre Dame perspective. It's a little concerning that that wasn't that announcement wasn't made yesterday. It was supposed to be yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't yesterday really... as in Wednesday, just to correct. Put a... So they <coughs> obviously need to have him back. Like there's the the play that will forever be burned into my mind about like how good he is is. Dalen Hayes is chasing down Lawrence, and you know he's not going to get him. And then Okora comes out of nowhere and just wipes him yeah, out on the sideline. That was not a good look for Dalen Hayes on that particular play yeah. that you're talking about. And I think about. Dalen Hayes like had a really nice end of the season. Yeah. But Okora is just like at a different. He has a different gear. Yeah. Rushing the passer. And, and then, what a what a. I mean, Ogden Dejay did some really really good things. And 
and uh, and the, the um, Justin Adamiola is coming on too. He he got in the game, so I mean they they are in a situation with their defensive end, which is they have a surplus. That's a, that is a strength for them. One other question from M, M. Solner: Name Notre Dame starting linebackers versus Georgia in 2019. You know, I tried. To- I have to admit that I was trying to bait people into telling me this um, about Asmar moving inside. Yeah. Uh, and nobody was, they were like, oh, I don't know. Like I asked Shane Simon about like, hey, you know, yeah. so next year are you, you sort of uh, see you're the starting rover. I asked Jim Markeith. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were there yet. I yeah. know you came up when I was talking to him. but There, there wasn't a whole no, lot no, of no, like no. take on no. that. Um, but, I mean, if I was Notre Dame, I would move Asmar inside. I would start Shane Simon. And then I would probably go with Jonathan Jones. To, to start the season. Well, I think it's I, – I, I really – maybe because I just – I'm impressed by Jen Markeith, both in terms of what he did as a freshman coming in, um, just the kind of kid that he is. I think he's a real bright, alert, I'm coachable with kid. I'm with you. <clears throat> but if you move Bilal inside, I don't think that you can – I mean, can, can Bilal play Mike? I, I don't know that that's a good move. I, it, the linebacking core is going to be one of the most interesting things going into the spring because – there's a lot of speculation. Bo Bauer, we thought in August, you know, was was uh, was ahead of of some other people as a true freshman. Jonathan Jones, um, you know, Lamb. I I know that he's been hurt most of the right. years, coming back from an injury. Um, I don't know. It's going to be very fascinating. It's going to be a question that's asked frequently. That's why I slipped it in here from from M. Solner as well. Next question, J. Jude. A lot of people are focusing on the final score of the Clemson game, but there were a lot of good things that happened on the defensive side of the ball. What kind of good takeaways can we find from the offense, or were there none? Well, I would point to, I mean, I think you have to you have to look at the regular season in, in its entirety and say there were a lot of good things uh, about the offense with Ian Book at quarterback. And, of course, you won't have Dexter Williams, but there, there were a lot of good things. Somebody asked a question about, you know how come Notre Dame can't get any yards after the catch? You mean why didn't they get any against Clemson? They got a, they they got that during the regular season. So I think I think the positives from the offense you you pretty much have to take that away from the twelve game regular season. Uh, on that note, here are the yards per <coughs> catch totals for the season with Ian Book in the game: Wake Forest two hundred five, Stanford one thirty seven, Virginia Tech one twenty eight, Pittsburgh one hundred three, Navy two hundred one, Northwestern one forty three. Syracuse one thirty four, USC one ninety, Clemson sixty. So kind of ended with a thought on that one, and like, yeah. how much is, does that have something to do with the book? Yes, does that have something to do with the receivers, for sure. And does that have a lot to do with Clemson? Also true. So it's um, they ran into a situation at the end of the season where they they played a C minus game against a more talented opponent who also played an A game, and the it made. It made Notre Dame's passing game turn into like just a, almost a non-functional entity, which is which was surprising. Um, but I, it, it it's that's, that's, it's, it's just one a of tough the things. That, it's one of the things I hate about ending on that note because so much is forgotten prior to that, and that's not it's not not is it only not fair? It's not accurate. It's not what a coaching staff is going to evaluate. You had a bad game against a very good football team. Your offense had a very bad game. You don't throw everything out because that happened. You build upon it. Ian Book's going to be a better. Ian Book's better is better today for having experienced what he did. Yes, you I know, agree, on, on, on the 29th. at Frank Sarah three is Notre Dame a top ten team in twenty nineteen? Probably. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll open as a top ten team. I mean, you. Well, it's, I mean, when they after the Alabama game, I think. The next year they opened in the top 10, and they returned a lot less on that team than they'll return on this team. So, you know, will they finish as a top 10 team in 2019? A lot less certain. It depends on those those road games. Yeah, but will they will they open as a top 10 team when they, you know, kick off at Louisville on, on Labor Day night? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think they'll probably be 8, 9, eight, nine 10, think, something like that. I think they should be. They, I think, especially if you get all those juniors back, yeah. I think they should be. I think they deserve it. Uh, from Twitter, Jay Schwartz. IV. That's Ivy. The, the fourth. fourth. Yeah. Top three players you're excited to see get real playing time next year. Um, I wrote this question. I haven't given a lot of, uh, of as much thought as I should have before you asked it. <laughs> uh, Jafar Armstrong, because I mean that, that. I mean that's the first guy that comes to mind for me because he's got to play a lead role. I mean, I, mm-hmm. he's 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 the best equipped. I think he will be the best running back that Notre Dame has. 
Um, and so that would be the first name that comes to mind. I'll let you, I mean, certainly the young receivers. Right. I mean, Kevin Austin would be probably my number one because I think he just adds a different dynamic to the passing game that there has been absent. Um, I'll think Kyle Hamilton would be on my list. Um, <laughs> Kyle Hamilton is definitely on yeah. my list too. I think Shane, I think Shane Simon. I mean, yeah. Shane Simon, uh, whether it's at Rover or they move him inside, I doubt that they do that. I think it's Rover for him and maybe more likely Bilal inside the butt. But I think it goes against the spirit of this question, but I would put Julian O'Quara and Julian Love on my list of guys that I'm looking forward to seeing getting playing time this oh, year. Yeah, but, but Austin, Hamilton, Simon... Uh, would be high on my list, and then, you know, I would. I'm very interested to see Jason Adamalola next year because I think if you looked at the entire freshman class, that he may have been the only guy that exceeded expectations. Yeah. Um, I mean, in some ways, I think Justin <coughs> did as well. Those yeah. were different expectations. Um, but can can Jason Adamalola give you a a, a playmaking three technique? Um, the way that I think we all thought he might be coming out of high school. I, th- I think the answer is probably yes. I mean, if that guy improves, takes the next step, I, I think he's going to have a really good sophomore year after having a good freshman year. With that in mind, I would I would throw out the name Iron Tagovailoa yeah. Mosa because he is really, really significant at this point. He played. Do you know how you know, he had I didn't he, track that yet. I mean, he, he played. I, I wrote a story on Irish Illustrated uh, before the game with the interview with him that you know, he was number two and he was going to play it. And indeed he did. And just like we imagined it, it, it's, I mean, it wasn't going to be a difference making presence on the field in a game of this magnitude. He was backing up Jerry Tillery. So I didn't expect it to be a difference making move, but it was good to see that he bounced back. Yeah. He didn't burn a year of eligibility. Presumably he came out of the game, uh, came out of the Cotton Bowl healthy. And so he can go into the preseason looking at the, at the number one spot on the depth chart. Denson, the man, 23, do you think Notre Dame will win a national championship under Brian Kelly, if not under anyone? Uh, I would say the odds are very high against Brian Kelly winning a national championship at Notre Dame. I would say it's progressively going to become more difficult for Notre Dame to win a national title, but it's difficult for me to say without knowing who that person would be as the next coach or the coach after that or the coach after that. I hope I'm around that long. Um, You know, I... It's it's progressively becoming more difficult for Notre Dame. The haves are separating from those that don't have as much. I wouldn't call Notre Dame a have-not, but they don't have as much as the haves. And, uh, you know, they can't – recruiting – people want them to recruit five-star players. That it, I mean, it's just not – then when they come – then when they swing and miss, like basketball just did, then, then what do you have? I, I I know fit versus talent, that was one of the topics on our message board. At Notre Dame, fit is very, very, very important. Yeah, I so probably not is it would be my answer. I think the playoff has made it harder for Notre Dame to win a title, and an expansion of the playoff would make it even harder for Notre Dame. I, I think it's sort of a that's missed on a lot of Notre Dame fans that it's a little it's a lot easier to beat Alabama once than it is to beat Clemson and then beat Alabama. And if it expands where you're, I mean, the projected bracket, if it expanded, would like, okay, you're, you're telling me Notre Dame's going to beat Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama three straight games? That's not happening. Um, but I, I do think if to move towards, yes, to, to move towards, yeah, I think it can happen, I do think the difference is five-star prospects. And it, it's not to say, like, you look over the, the previous four classes on the 24-7 sports composite, Alabama, Georgia will have signed 18, Alabama will have signed 14. Ohio State 12, Clemson 10, Notre Dame 1. I'm not saying Notre Dame needs to sign 10 five-star prospects in a four-year it's cycle. Be more than one. They got to sign four. You know, I mean, just give me, if you threw out Jalen Smith or Quentin Nelson or Michael Floyd or Kyle Rudolph or, or some combination of three of those four guys, then yeah, Notre Dame could have beat Clemson. Um, and I don't think it would have shocked me if they did. But I think the... Notre Dame signing top 10 classes is great. I would almost rather them sign a top 13 class that had two five-star prospects in it. Um, I think they're they're lacking the Justin Ross, Trevor Lawrence, Xavier Thomas type of athlete. Um, We haven't haven't even seen Xavier Thomas yet. No, I mean, (laughs) when he he tracked down Dexter Williams on that, uh, that, when the run was going away from him, he looked pretty fast. Now, 
the development aspect has to be there too. And I think Notre Dame is very good on that because, like, USC has signed 10 five-star prospects over the last four right. years, and that's not going very well right. for them. Right. So I just think that you got to do a better job getting finding the Jalen Smith, Quentin Nelson, Kyle Rudolph types because they're out there. Um, a lot of times they seem to have ended up at Stanford. So you got to get them coming to Notre Dame again. It was mentioned a couple times uh, uh, if you had if you had a Debo at cornerback. In, yeah, in this no, game. I mean, I I mean a, that's know, a great point. Uh, and that was a guy that you had. Uh, we we touched upon this a bit, but Golden Domer thirty. Will the Clemson game serve as an eye opener for Brian Kelly and Chip Long that they need to rotate wide receivers more, such as Austin Young, Keys, Lindsey? I don't think it changes. I don't, I don't think they didn't rotate because they didn't want to this year. I didn't, they didn't rotate because those guys weren't ready to play. Well, but. When have when have multiple receivers? When has a second unit of wide receivers been ready to play? I agree. I don't. the The notion that you just whether they're ready or not, you throw them out there is, folks. That is not real <laughs> football. That's not yeah. real world football. If they're not ready to play, you don't just throw them out there and then something spectacular is going to happen. Generally speaking. Um, having said that, you know, Kevin Austin played early and needed to develop as the season went on. Uh, Michael Young's a sophomore. He needed to develop as the season went on. Keys and Lindsay are freshmen that weren't ready in, you know, in the beginning. So I don't, I don't put as much weight on that, but Austin and Young needed to develop this year and they didn't. Yeah. It's, I, I think if you talk to people around Notre Dame, they would say that they both sort of got well, Austin in particular, sort of got eaten up by being at Notre Dame. Um, that that's a maybe underappreciated. It is under issue it is with, underappreciated. Issue with yes. freshmen here is like you get into class, you're you're really burning at both ends. Like, like all due respect to everybody else, like at Clemson, but I don't think Justin Ross was overtaxed academically this year. Um, but I think Kevin Austin probably got. Yeah, his butt I, I, I a think uh, I, uh, Shane Simon. I think is another yeah. guy that you, that you would have expected. Okay, he's going Houston to develop Griffith. as a Houston Griffith. Um, you can blame that on coaching, or you can, you know, it's a staff that's done a good job of developing players. I think right. you can. I think your point is well taken that it's underappreciated that. Being a freshman football player in Notre Dame is really, really hard academically. And when they go through, when they go through the midterms and when they go through uh, final exams, a you, lot of times they're on fumes. You get the Pittsburgh game, for example. Right. I mean, it's, the answer though is like, I don't, I, and I, I think Golden Domer is asking it in this way, like, because Clemson rotated and had success, will Notre Dame rotate because Clemson did it? And I don't think the, – the answer is not yes because Notre Dame is not rotating T. Higgins and Justin Ross in the game. Like, if they had – like, if Notre Dame's freshman class had Justin Ross in it and T. Higgins – like, if you swapped out Kevin Austin and Michael Young for T. Higgins and Justin Ross, hell yes Notre Dame would have rotated more because they would have had a yeah. superior athlete right there. As it stands, they they don't. I do think the question. I, I mean, I like it from the standpoint that Notre Dame needs to try to do this the same way that they've done on the defensive line. They need to try to do this, and in this situation, Austin Young, they needed them to develop this. I year. think, and I think next next year they'll be able to do that because Austin and Young will be way more ready to go. And I think you could throw Lawrence Keys into that group right, too. So hopefully Boykin comes back, and then that that group is still intact, and then you can. Legitimately supplemented with guys that are that are capable of playing. Yeah, suddenly a, a four wide set with Cole Komet as a tight end, like a no back look, like that becomes something Chip Long can put in the playbook. It'd be pretty interesting right. to watch. ND zero two five eight seven six. Why is Notre Dame struggling to land an elite running back? We can offer playing time and elite offensive line, and most years with Audrey Den- and most years Audrey Denson has shown an ability to develop backs. That's a good question. That's not, a good question. Not the question. first time it's been asked. No, it's not the first time it has been asked, and and it's really a little bit inexcusable, quite frankly, for a program like Notre Dame with, that produces the offensive linemen and lines that it does. Um, that shouldn't happen. No, and it. I mean, ultimately, this comes down to the running back coach, really, you know, plowing his own field. I guess like that's Notre Dame needs Autry Denson to just get in there and get Chris Tyree out of Virginia, get A.J. Henning out of outside Chicago. I think ultimately Notre Dame will get one of those guys 
it might reset the narrative a little bit about you know Notre Dame can't land an but elite skill. But that should player. have happened this this yeah, recruiting they, cycle. They should have had a couple. They should have AJ Henning and Chris Tyree should have been on Notre Dame's roster already just in the 2017 class or the 2018 right. different, class. Yeah. And, and Same they're type, not. different name. Yeah, so it's um, it's been a real struggle. I, I do think that Denson is is well aware that he's he's really got to step it up in recruiting to get one of those guys. So I'll, I'm going to be fascinated to see sort of how the next cycle plays out because, like, Notre Dame should be able to offer immediate playing time to whoever they get as, like, an all-purpose speed back next year. The offensive line is the same. The offense is the same. There's... And I think the pitch Notre Dame should be able to make, even after the way the Cotton Bowl went, is you can come to Notre Dame and play Alabama style football with Stanford academics. Like that's that's what they that's what they need to to sell. That needs yeah. to be the the new twist on four for forty. Mortimer one. I know the physical measurables are there for Phil Jakovic as compared to Book. Y'all having seen Jakovic throw in practice, assuming an open trout in spring for quarterback. Do you see the potential for Djokovic to surpass Book as a starter, and what would this bring to the offense if, in fact, it would happen? How much stronger is his arm, running, scrambling ability, et cetera? I don't know that there's going to be an open tryout at quarterback in the spring. No, there won't but, be. But I do think that the, from the measurables perspective, arm strength and scrambling ability, Djokovic will, is superior to Book. Now, where is Book best? Accuracy. And in that instance, it's a blowout in favor of Ian Book. I mean, that, that I think is, we don't see practices ever. Um, you know, we saw about 20 minutes of the bowl prep in <laughs> South Bend. You know, we're not watching live stuff. Um, but I can tell you, like, Ian, Ian Book's accuracy versus Phil Jakovic is not close. Uh, and until that gets close, that's that's the trait where in, until it's equal or, you know, within the ballpark, I don't think the coaching staff is going to think about no. That's what that's when strength of arm, scrambling ability, length, none of that, none that, of that can really matter until you have the component of accuracy. All those are elements where Brandon Wimbush was also better than Ian Book. He's faster. He has stronger arm. Right. <laughs> that's a good. Point. Great. No, I that's mean, a good point. Just yeah. like there's there's a maximum for. The utility of that, if you can't get the ball to go where it needs to, like you watch Trevor Lawrence, his arm strength is unbelievable, and he is really fast, but he's also incredibly accurate. So it's like he's yeah. got the whole thing happening. Yeah, Notre but, Dame's improvement in twenty nineteen does it? it it's got to come from within Ian Book. Yeah, you know the deep ball, some of the things that he didn't do well. He did most things well. Uh, their offensive line has to be better. We can go. There's plenty of time to go through all of these things, but. Notre Dame's Notre Dame's rise to the next level in 2019 is not with Phil Jakovic. No, they just don't. He won't be. He won't be ready to do that next year. 2020, when Ian Book probably has decided, okay, I've maximized my opportunity in college and moved on. We'll see. You know, then we'll talk about it differently. We have one more question from Gerard, and it is: If Brian Kelly does indeed leave Notre Dame for an NFL job in the next two weeks. Who are your personal top three candidates to replace him at Notre Dame? Uh, say Matt Campbell is one, Matt Campbell is two, and Matt Campbell is three. <laughs> like I, I mean, honestly, you, I mean, I, could you throw out like names like oh Bob Stoops or Urban Meyer? <laughs> sure, but Matt Campbell is the guy. Matt Campbell is the next Brian Kelly. He's the up and coming coach who's won at multiple stops. Uh, in some ways, what he's done is. I think more impressive at Iowa State than what Brian Kelly did at Cincinnati based on the level of competition where you have to go to Oklahoma and win, and he has. Um, you know, you have to play Texas. So that that would be my guy. I think one of the things, the the, the biggest box that he, he checks a lot of really good boxes, but I think one of the biggest ones is he loves to recruit. And I don't think Brian Kelly would sit here and tell, tell you that I love to recruit. Notre Dame needs to... It gets back to the five-star stuff. If you have a head coach who loves to recruit, I do think that you can turn the tide a little bit. But if you don't, then I think it's a real challenge to leave that to your assistants and then hope that it just breaks your way at the end. I, You know, the Matt Campbell persona, it's not going to be as smooth and as polished as the way Brian Kelly delivers it. And, and we can say, well, what does that matter? It, it does at Notre Dame because the spotlight is so heavily on you. Having said all that, what you're saying about recruiting and what he's been able to do at Iowa State, I think, is pretty exceptional. So he would be 
the top of the list. I would not exclude the name John Harbaugh from the equation. I'm not saying I want him. I'm saying that that is a name that has to be under consideration from the stamp. How do I say this? <laughs> Notre Dame has an eye on John Harbaugh, or they did at one point. Um, he's on the, he's on this mythical short list on a piece of paper in Jack Swarbrick's office. No, that, that doesn't that exist. Could, yeah, whether it's and it may very well be mythical. I don't I don't think that is. I don't think that's mythical completely. I mean, clearly, it's, I think it's, it's unlikely. In, it's on the notes app on his phone. On whose what? Jack Swarbrick's phone. Oh. He doesn't have a paper list. It's on the notes app. <laughs> don't lose your phone, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we don't we don't anticipate Brian Kelly being no. uh, replaced uh, in the short term here, but uh, or needing to be replaced. No, we don't. I but, don't. I don't think he leave. And I sure as hell don't think that Notre Dame wants him to leave. No, but but what we do anticipate is still having a podcast uh, on a weekly basis. And yeah, absolutely. It looks like I think right now we're looking at Thursdays of every week. Um, we. He, he, whether you're ready for it or not, or whether O'Malley is ready for it or not, or our readers, I think I'm going to have to talk a little Nordian basketball here coming up. It's not going to be pretty because if you saw the Virginia Tech game on Saturday, this is this is going to be a real, real struggle. But freshmen are going to get to play a lot, and we'll see how they develop. But, of course, our podcast will be mainly based upon football as we move forward in spring practice approaches. So uh, hope to get Tim O'Malley off the disabled list by next <laughs> Thursday. We anticipate doing that. And for Pete Sampson and myself, Tim Priester, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.